If you have a copy of the scriptures, you can turn to the book of Galatians. We're at this part of the New Testament as we're going through the Bible together. So this morning we're going to look at the very end of the book of Galatians. So in chapter 6, I'm going to read you the last paragraph of the last chapter of this book because it encapsulates the whole story of the church at Galatia and the whole message that God had for them through the Apostle Paul. So remember as we go through the Bible together, think about this framework, the three loves, the four-part story, creation, rebellion, redemption, restoration, the five threads that we've been thinking about over and over and over. Uh, God's always had a people. He's always been building his church. Evil's real, but never gets the last word. Grace, God initiates, pursues, and saves. He did it. Fourth thread, Jesus actually accomplished something. He's a literal savior, and everything is moving toward Jesus. Everything in your life, my life, everything in the scriptures, everything in history is all moving toward Christ. Remember that framework, and hopefully as we look through the Bible together each week, you will see how those uh, numbers, three, four, and five, those threads, those parts of the story, those loves are shown through the scripture itself. So listen to this. This is God's word. Galatians 6, 11 through 18. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Lord, that you have given us this time to gather as your people to gather as your people to hear your word. We ask you, Lord, that you would help us to receive your truth. Holy Spirit, would you open up our ears to, to hear it, to listen, to take it in? Would you open up our minds to think? Would you open up our hearts so that we would be affected and the very center of our being would be changed? by what these words, your words, have to say. And Lord Jesus, we ask that you would show yourself through this passage to be more beautiful and believable. Help us to understand something more of your redeeming love. We pray this, that you would get glory, Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen. The point of the passage this morning and the whole point of Galatians will boil down to this. Boast in the cross. That's it. So when you read these verses with me, when you look back through them, I hope you can see that that is the main thrust of what Paul is talking about here. That we should boast in the cross. 
So if you're willing to think about that idea, if you're willing to take that in, you'll get the essence of this passage and the essence of this letter that God sent to the churches of Galatia through the Apostle Paul. So by way of introduction, I want to say a couple things as we think together, as we start to think together about boasting in the cross. The first one is this. You know, this idea of boasting may be somewhat hard for us to understand because it's not exactly a word that we use a whole lot. But the culture that we live in, the culture that we are a part of, is so self-centered that boasting in self is actually expected, isn't it? It's, it's actually um, demanded. It's actually customary for us to live our lives every day boasting in self as if there is absolutely nothing wrong with that at all. Matter of fact, if you really think about social media and how those platforms are used, it seems like they have become the way in which we naturally boast in ourselves, isn't it? I mean, it's the way in which we say, look at how handsome I am. Look how gorgeous we are. Look how beautiful I am. It's a way to say, look at my perfect family. It's a way to say, look at my perfect life. It's a way to say, look where I've been. It's a way to say, look at who is with me. Look who I am with. It's a way to say, this is how I am right. It's a way to say, this is how everyone else is wrong. It's a way in which we naturally, intuitively just boast about ourselves. And perhaps we don't even think about it that way very much. Now, hear this. You need to hear me admit to you that I am not great at boasting in the cross. I don't have as much experiential knowledge of this as I wish I did. I want, I admit, it is, I much prefer to boast in uh, my skill set. It is much easier for me to boast, um, to boast in education. It is much easier for me to boast in athleticism. It's a lot easier for me to boast in accomplishments and things that I've done. It's a lot easier for me to boast in all kinds of ways other than the cross. Maybe that relates to you as well. Here's the last thing. We all actually really know what it means to boast, don't we? Even if we don't use this word very much. I mean, it's football season. I mean, thank God that football has come back. That may mean nothing to you, and that's fine, so, you know, hear me out for a second. Finally, there's something normal in my life. In Dave's life, there's finally something normal about the fall and life itself. Football is here. Um, my team had their first game last night, the Tennessee Volunteers. They had their first game last night. And here's the connection. We know what it means to boast. Tennessee won last night, so you know you might hear me say things like this. We won. I boast in my team. 
And oh, by the way, just to be abundantly clear, I, Dave Osborne, contributed nothing to the victory last night. I need you to understand, I was here in Greenville, North Carolina. I wasn't in Columbia. I wasn't on the field. I didn't suit up. I didn't practice. Nothing. I contributed in no way. In no way did I contribute. But yet my team winning, we won. And if ECU had won, I would have used that. But I know that's a sore spot for us. So we won. It means that I am willing to take credit for something that I didn't do. I'm telling you that I have derived joy from my team winning. I'm telling you that I like to schedule my time when possible so that I can watch the game. Sound familiar? I'm telling you that there is a piece of my identity that is wrapped up with my team and is interested in learning about my team, that is interested in understanding what has happened at, with my team, what might happen with my team, what's going on in the day-to-day with my team and my players. We know what it means to boast because that's what it means to cheer for our teams and to find value, to be interested in, on and on. That's what it means to boast. And Paul is saying that we should only boast in the cross. So let me show that to you in three ways. The first one is this. Boasting in the cross matters. Boasting in the cross matters. When you look at this text, you have to see that boasting in the cross really matters. Look at the tone of it. Look back through and read the verses. Look at the tone of what's going on. Look at what Paul says. He says, I am writing to you with my own hand. I'm writing big letters to you. You see, Paul really cared about the churches of Galatia. He was close with them. He had an actual relationship with them. He helped plant the church. He helped get it started. And if you read back through the the other chapters, what you'll find is that Paul has this eye problem. And his relationship with the church of Galatia was such that when he showed up, the people of the church actually said to Paul, Paul, if we could alleviate your eye problem, we would. If we could give you our eyes so that you could see better, we would do that. And Paul had that kind of relationship with them and they with him and he cared about what was going on in their lives and they were really struggling and it really mattered to him. It mattered so much that it was common for him to have, if you will, a secretary to write down things that he was saying that would then turn into the letter that would be sent. Remember this guy named Tertius was his secretary and that wrote down what he said when he sent the letter to Rome, to the churches in Rome. And at this point, at the end of the book of Galatians, he says, I am going to write this myself. And he even says, see with what large letters. Have you ever gotten an email that was all caps? You ever gotten a text that was all caps, maybe from your parents or your grandparents? Like by accident, you know? 
Do you know what it means when someone writes to you, emails you, texts you, and they have like all caps? Either they don't know what they're doing or they're saying something to you that is really important, right? They're, they're, they're trying to emphasize a certain thing. They're trying to say, they're trying to put a lot of emotional value into what is capitalized. And my hunch is that the people of Galatia would have received this from the Apostle Paul and he probably didn't get as many Christmas cards on the shelf this year from the folks of Galatia. They were probably upset with him because this really mattered to him and it should matter to them and to us. And boasting in the cross alone matters not only is Paul serious in communicating that, but it matters because we are so easily distracted. We're so easily distracted. Boasting in the cross matters because we are easily distracted. Look back at the verses. You see, here's what was going on in Galatia. Um, th- those in the church were, they were interested in Jesus, but they wanted Jesus plus something else. And here, in this particular situation, they were wrapped up with this idea of circumcision. And so they wanted Jesus, but they needed something more. It was Jesus plus something else. So that meant that they were attaching greater maturity levels to people that were circumcised and those who were not. That meant they were saying, look, you can have Jesus, but you really need to be circumcised as well. If you really want to be a Christian, if you really want to grow in your faith, you've got to be circumcised. In other words, there was a spectrum. They were thinking that circumcision, on one hand, made someone more mature in the faith, all the way to, some were saying that you had to have Jesus plus circumcision in order to be a literal, genuine follower of Christ. As if to say, if you didn't have circumcision, you might not be saved. Think about that. Yes, Paul, please talk to us about Jesus, but we want this too. We need Jesus plus something else. You see, what happens when we do that in our lives, and oh, by the way, this is not a problem exclusive to those in the first century. This has always been a problem in the church. It's always been a problem in the churches. It's always been a problem with us individually. We want Jesus plus something else. And you can fill in the blank as to what that is. Because the, the list is basically endless. You know, we want Jesus plus um, our way of education. So therefore, if you don't have this way of education, you're not as mature as other people, and you might even be treated as if you're not really a Christian at all. Jesus plus our view of parenting. Jesus plus uh, our view of the way you spend your money. Jesus plus um, uh, our political view. So that unless you have all these other things, you might not be as mature as someone else, or you might not actually be a follower at all. You see, Jesus faced this exact same thing. Really, the God-man, when he walked on the earth, he faced this exact same thing. 
There were people, you see, who would read the Word of God and they would find things here and there and trying to derive something from the Word of God, they would actually say, no, because of this and this, this is what you should do. So you have God's commandments and then here are things that we think are really, really helpful. So here you go, listen to this, follow this. And then over time, those things became equal to the Word of God. And then over time, those things became actually more important than the Word of God. Then over time, Jesus would say that those things actually, the way you lived them out and the way you held them in your life, you actually tried to nullify the Word of God because you prefer this. Sound familiar? You see, all of us have a list. Let's be honest. We want Jesus plus, and then you fill in the blank. And over time, that list can become the main thing. So that that list, the list, is actually how you begin to relate to other people. So the list becomes how you begin to evaluate yourself so that the list becomes way more important than Jesus. Paul is saying you've got to boast in the cross. And it's really important because we are so easily distracted. So here's the question for you to think about. Here's some application. What is your list? What rules are you living by? What rules? Really? Really? What rules? What are your relationships actually based upon? The gospel? The cross? Or things you've added? Things I've added to it? How are your relationships developed? Do your list? Or actually the gospel and the cross. You see, to follow something other than Jesus is actually just to put on yourself another yoke of bondage. To add something to God's word, to add something to the gospel is actually to just put all kinds of different chains on your mind, on your emotions, on your life. It just puts you in bondage. You see, here's the wide-angle lens look at this. There's always going to be conflict. I can say that with a smile on my face. There's always going to be conflict. There's conflict in the church in Galatia. There's conflict in Corinth. There's conflict in Rome. There's conflict in Philippi. There's conflict everywhere. That is a fact of life. And, and, and let's just make this more personal. There is conflict inside of each one of us, isn't there? The good that I want to do, I don't often do it. What I know not to do, I often find myself doing that thing. There's a war that's going on within us. Conflict is real. We feel this all the time. And there's also going to be conflict when people, individuals who are in conflict, Get around other people. Conflict is real. 
And the problem is not so much conflict, it's how we deal or don't deal with conflict. And Paul is saying, look, the gospel is what we ought to center our lives on. And look how clearly he makes that with this. And then we'll move on to the second thing. Uh, One of the verses 12, 13, and 15, I think. Look at what he says. There are those who want to, look at the word, force you to be circumcised. Force. Think about that. I mean, that that helps color the idea of, look, uh, you're not really as mature as you should be if you don't do this. Force. Look at, look at another phrase in 12 and 13, uh, something along the lines of, well, they don't really care about circumcision themselves, but they get to boast in your flesh as if to say, hey, everybody, see this person over here? Yep, they're following me. I'm going to boast in what they're doing because they're doing what I say they're supposed to be doing. And then Paul ends up saying in verse 15, look, at the end of the day, Circumcision, whether you're circumcised or whether you're not, it counts for nothing. That thing that you want to make the main thing, it really doesn't matter. What matters is the cross. So the cross, boasting in the cross matters. Secondly, boasting in the cross is bigger than self. You know, it's so easy to understand what it means to boast in ourselves because we do it all the time intuitively, naturally. We boast in ourselves. But Paul's saying, boasting in the cross is bigger than you. It's, it's, it's the cross. It's not you. It's the cross. And this is actually quite interesting, isn't it? Paul, Paul's not saying that we should boast in the teachings of Jesus, although those are super important. He's saying we should boast in the work of Jesus and what he came to do, the cross. That we should be boasting in his work and what he has done. And to push that even further, because we so often hear about the cross and it just kind of washes over us, not necessarily in a good way, but like water off the duck's back washes over us. Like we just have heard about the cross so much and we're familiar with that language that it doesn't have the grip on us that it should. It doesn't you know, just pound us like it should. It it doesn't pierce us the way it should because it's so familiar. But think about it. Paul's saying this is, it's actually kind of crazy that he's saying this. I mean, to boast in the cross is kind of like boasting and waterboarding. You, You realize that, right? Like waterboarding is a form of torture. So is crucifixion. You want to know how to make someone die a slow, painful death? Crucifixion's way up there. And Paul is saying we're supposed to boast in that? Friends, you should be shocked by that. I should be more shocked by that. I hope that you have conversation after conversation after conversation about people that think that the cross is absolutely asinine that think that the cross is crazy because it is we are boasting in the cross and the reason we boast in the cross is because the cross is saying two things at the exact same time 
In the exact same moment, the cross is communicating two things. And I hope, I hope that you will take this in. The cross is saying this. Sin is really that bad. Sin is really that bad. Our rebellion against God and brokenness and the world being broken, it's really that bad. Let me try to illustrate it. If your house was burning down and you were able to get out all of your favorite people and all your favorite stuff, and you're standing on the street and you are just watching your house burn down. Meanwhile, you have everything around you and everyone around you that you desire, but your house is burning down and your neighbor were to come up to you and say, you know what? You're a great neighbor. I love you. And they were to take off and sprint straight into your house and die. My hunch is you would think, that person's a psycho. They're not communicating that they love me. What in the world are they thinking? What is wrong with them? Why in the world would they run to the house and just die? But if your house is burning down and there's someone in that house that you love and the fire department is saying things are so bad you can't go in there and people are holding you back from going in, And someone is in there that you love, and the neighbor comes up to you and says, you are a great neighbor. I love you. And runs straight into the house and rescues your loved one, even though in the event of doing that, they die. Wow. That's love, isn't it? That's redemption, isn't it? You see... If we don't think sin is that bad, if we think that we're basically good, Jesus dying on the cross is just kind of crazy. But if we realize that we're stuck in the house and we have no hope of getting out and we're dead in and of ourselves and there's no option that we have and he comes running into the house and grabs us and brings us to safety as he dies? That is what the cross is telling you. Sin is really that bad that you have no way out other than Jesus. And in the same moment that it's telling you that sin is that bad, it's also telling you that grace is really free. Grace is really free. You remember the story of the father with two sons? I'll probably bring this up too much, but it has such a profound impact on me. You remember the story with the father and two sons? The younger son takes his inheritance from the father and he breaks all the rules because he wants to find how to live his life. Remember this? The younger son breaks all the rules thinking this is how I'm going to make my life. I'm going to do whatever I want. The older son, the older brother, he keeps all the rules. Because he thinks in keeping the rules, this is how I'm going to make it. This is how I'm going to be something. This is how I'm going to show that I'm someone of worth. The younger brother comes back. He's conscious of his sin. He's aware of his brokenness. He's aware of his rebellion. He has prepared a speech, if you read the story, of confession and repentance. And he gets into his father's presence and he begins to repent. And the father says, no more. 
My son is lost and now he's found. And the only thing that could rescue that younger son that broke all the rules, the only thing was not his repentance. It was the grace of his father and forgiveness of his father and open-armedness of his father to receive him. And the older brother that was obeying everything, the only thing and the only hope that he had was grace as well. And it was profoundly, profoundly offensive to him. He didn't love grace. He loved what he was doing. He loved why he was doing everything he was doing. He was obeying and keeping all the rules because he thought that is exactly what's going to please my father and that is exactly what I'm, what I'm holding on to and that is exactly why I can go to him and say, why haven't you given me this over here because I've done all this with my life? He despised grace, and it was his only hope. You see, grace, there's part of it that we absolutely love. There are parts of our lives that we absolutely love grace, mainly those times where we feel convicted, and we know we've done something that we shouldn't, and we love the fact of the freeness of God's grace. But what's really hard for us about grace is the fact that it tells us all the good things we've done mean nothing. What's really hard about grace is that it strips us bare. It takes away everything from us. It says, no, you cannot boast in anything in yourself, not your repentance, not your faith, not your obedience, not your family, nothing. Grace is really free. And if we're gonna boast in the cross, we've got to understand that our sin is that bad and God's grace is really free and God's grace just isn't for the times when we break the rules and mess up we need God's grace for our obedience and the things that deep down we're clinging to is our identity and our worth and it just so happens they often correspond to the list you see I love to boast in my team right Tennessee we won last night we won and I get joy from that. Um, I have scheduled my time around that. I have, um, I see that I have worth. I understand I want to learn. I love taking credit for something that I didn't even do. And all of that only makes sense if I connect it to Jesus. You see, all that stuff of the way that I view my team and my winning is just a glimpse of the ultimate reality that that's how I'm supposed to boast in Jesus. That I'm supposed to say, oh, what he did on the cross, oh, that was for me. So that I'm boasting in his victory. My victory was in him. So that I order my day and think about time through him. So that I think about how much I want to learn about him so that I am deriving joy from the fact that it gave Jesus joy to lay down his life for me. Does that make sense? So boasting in Jesus is finding our identity and our joy and wanting to learn and wanting to receive someone else's credit for me. 
Well, what that means is that boasting in the cross is bigger than you and me. And let me tell you how big. Look at this in this little phrase. I think it's at the end of verse 16. Paul says, mercy and peace and maybe something else be upon the Israel of God. Amazing phrase. Amazing phrase. He has a similar phrase to this in Ephesians 2. This is what Paul is saying. Those that make up the churches in Galatia are actually the true Israel. Think about that. What it means to be a true Jew and what it means to be a true Israelite is not connected to ethnicity, but to the cross. So that God has never ultimately had a plan for an ethnic people because of their ethnicity. God has always had a plan for his people that are Jewish and non-Jewish and are defined by Jesus. So that God has always had a church so the Apostle Paul can look to the Old Testament and understand that God's people were actually the church. And he's saying to you and me, do you understand you're part of the people of God? There's always been one people. There's always and will only be one message, and that is Jesus. And to follow Jesus means that we are part of the true Israel of God. We are the church. And to be a true Jew is to mean that you find your ultimate identity in the truest Jew that ever lived. And that's Jesus. Boasting in the cross really matters. It's bigger than you. And finally, it always leaves a mark. It always leaves a mark. Boasting in the cross always leaves a mark. You see, the cross defines who we are. Look at what Paul says. I think this is at the end of verse 15. Circumcision, no circumcision, doesn't really count for anything. What matters is the new creation. See that? Boasting in the cross always leaves a mark. There's a new creation. In other words, the message of the cross is not a rehab program. The message of the cross is not turning over a new leaf. The message of the cross is not a self-help way to live life. It's not receiving a different morality. Understanding the cross and boasting in the cross is because there's a new creation. A brand new thing is going on in our lives. It's, it's a new heart. It's to become brand new, born a second time, born from above because of what Jesus has done. And that always leaves a mark. And what that looks like for Paul and how he explains it is this. I am crucified to the world and the world is crucified to me. You see that in the verses? Paul is not saying that my hope is to escape the world. My hope is not to just uh, leave it alone and stay away from it and just get together and have this holy huddle. He's saying I've been crucified to the world and the world has been crucified to me. The world has no dominating, controlling power in my life because of the cross. 
And that means that the way that he looks at reality is not according to the way the world looks at reality. The way that he looks at reality is through Jesus. That means that he looks at every person and says, oh yeah, it's Jesus that defines creation and every human being. It means, oh yes, it's not the way that culture thinks about what is broken or sinful as much as it is what God says about sin. It means that it doesn't matter what others think about what redemption is and salvation is. It matters what Jesus says about redemption. And the future is not defined by how the culture says I should live and what I should hope for. But the future is actually defined by Jesus as well. That the day is coming in which heaven and earth will be reunited. So that I'm not going to think about anything in the world, a human being, brokenness, redemption, or restoration in any other way other than through Jesus. That's it. So every day, I have to do the hard work of thinking about, oh, what does God tell me about this human being? What does God say about this aspect of rebellion? What does God say about this aspect of redemption and restoration? And how does that fit into everything in my life? You see, boasting in the cross always leaves a mark. We become new creatures. And that means this is the question for you to think about. Where are you saying no? In your life, where are you saying N-O? Where are you saying no? What I'm learning through this year is that I have to say no an awful lot to me looking at the world through the two-part story rather than the four. I'm used to doing that, the two-part story. It means where are you saying no to old habits or current ones? Where are you saying no to the critical spirit? Where are you saying no in your life? And the other thing about it always leaves a mark is that the cross doesn't just define who we are. The cross stretches us. It stretches us. Look at what Paul says. This is not exactly word for word, but you'll get it. Look at the verse here. Paul says, basically, Please leave me alone because I bear in my body the stigmata, the marks of the Lord Jesus. Do you see that? Paul boasting in the cross meant that he had marks on his body, that the cross was actually stretching him in his life. Do you know areas in your life where the gospel is stretching you? My hunch is, if you're like me, you have scars too. Maybe you have some emotional scars. Maybe you actually have some physical scars. Maybe you have relational scars. Paul did too. Can you imagine, for following Christ, Paul often received, at least several times anyway, lashes on his back? 
Can you imagine if you were the person that was appointed by the local governing authorities to strip off Paul's shirt? Can you imagine what it, have been, would have been look, what it would have been like to look at the Apostle Paul's back and see his physical scars because he wanted to boast in Jesus? My hunch is you have scars too. Following Jesus and boasting in the cross alone is not easy. It means that we don't just need to think about where are we saying no. It means we need to think about where are we saying yes. Where are the areas in your life in which you are learning to boast in the cross? And if you need a grid through which to think about that, you can turn back one chapter in Galatians and think about this. Where in your life are you saying yes to loving? Full stop. Where are you loving? You want to tease out even further? Where are you loving your enemies? Because we all live in a culture in which it's just great to pound to death our enemies, isn't it? Where are we learning to love our enemies? Where are we learning to have joy? If you're like me, there are times that I have to fight for joy because there just seems to be some things in my life where I just want to be angry and then I just get excited about being able to be angry, you know? I don't know if that connects with y'all in any way. But there are things that happen in my life that I want to be angry at, maybe just because there are times where I just want to be angry. In other words, I have to make conscious decisions to try to fight for joy. Because I'm, I can, I can be much more willing to expend energy to be not joyful. What about peace? Peace. Where are you saying to, yes, I am going to be a peacemaker. Yes, I am going to fight for peace. I'm going to be intentional about wanting to be peaceful. What about patience? What areas of your life are you learning to say yes to being patient? Yeah, that means I'm talking about the thing in your life right now that you want to happen this week. I'm talking about the thing in your life that you really want to happen. And I'm saying, where are those instances where you're fighting for patience, to be patient? What about kindness? Where are you fighting to be kind to other people? Where are you fighting to be kind to yourself? I'm sure that there are many of you who can be incredibly critical of yourself. Where are you fighting to be kind to yourself? And look at yourself and the way God sees you. Where are you fighting to be good? To be a genuinely good person because of the cross. To be good. Where are you fighting for self-control? Saying, you know what, 
I shouldn't think this way. I've got to, I've got to control my mind because if I let my mind go on this, it's going to go to places where it is darn good. Where are you fighting for self-control with your tongue? It's hard, right? Where are we fighting for self-control? You see, Paul is saying, only boast in the cross. Jesus is all that we have. And he really is all that we need.